This week, we speak to someone who has been using spaceflight to inspire people to do bigger and better things. Yeah, we speak to the founder of ISET Space, Chris Barber, and he has some amazing stories to tell. We'd love to hear from you, so please get in contact via our social media pages at Space and Things Podcast on Threads, Instagram, and Facebook, or via the contact form on our website. And please consider joining us over at patreon.com forward slash space and things. But right now, it's time for episode 176 of the Space and Things podcast. Listening to the Space and Things podcast with Emily Carney and Dave Giles. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles. And welcome to episode 176 of our podcast. How are you doing, Emily? I think you've had a good weekend. I am doing great. Uh, I'm a little tired. But I got to see the Vulcan Centaur Cert 1 launch this weekend. I was there with Celestis. We got to see the Enterprise and Tranquility flights lift off. It was an experience for a lifetime. Uh, had a wonderful time. It was really life-changing. You know, I feel like I got levitated. And I'm just st- slowly coming back to Earth now. So I'm still in the coming back to Earth stage. But I'll talk about it more and what caught my eye this week. Fantastic. But it was magnificent. It was Worth every second. Loved it. It was great following your updates on social media, that's for sure. Right, let's crack on with this week's main feature. The International Space School Educational Trust, or ISET, was founded in 1998 as a UK-registered charity. The Trust's mission is to use space exploration and the people behind it to motivate students from all backgrounds to realise their potential grow their confidence, and help them to achieve their dreams in whatever field they choose. There is also a commercial arm called the International Space School Education Training Limited, which is trading as I said, and that manages the different programs and handles direct to consumer sales internationally. We're going to find out more about what that means during the interview, so I'll leave it there for our introduction to ISET for now. Yes, we are talking to the founder of ISET, Chris Barber. He was a teacher who ended up being a deputy head teacher at two large high schools, and that led him into founding ISET. Which we're going to find out all about right now. It's time to crack on. Hello, Chris. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate your time. Now, before we get onto ISET, we'd love to know a little more about you. Uh, We know you were a teacher and a deputy head teacher. So where does the space flight element come from? Was there a moment from your childhood or an event that really gave you the space flight buzz? Hello, Emily. Well, yes. <laughs> in my work in schools, um, previous to that, my job before that was I uh, was an underwriter against loss caused by insolvency in the city. Wow. And I made a big switch to education. I met somebody called George Abbey in Wales. His mother came from Wales and George was the director of the Johnson Space Centre. He had a really influential position in terms of he was more or less in charge of the development of the space station, astronaut selection, astronaut allocation to, uh, to space flights, liaison with Russia. So he held a very influential position. And I met 
George, and he just said to me, Chris, you should do some programs with us. So I started up thinking of programs which would benefit people to use essentially those that were at the heart of the human space program. Okay. Roll back a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> How, how does one meet George Abbey in Wales? I mean, what, Wales is small compared to America. Wales is very small, but it's a big place. So his mum's his mum's from Wales, and he was in Wales, and you just bumped into him in, in a coffee shop and got chatting. How, how does that come about? The actual invitation took place in a pub. <laughs> I love this. So that made it sort of convivial, really. Yeah. We sort of braced ourselves and had a beer or two together. But George was always interested in education and what space did for people. And as I had a position in a school, a school which, whilst I was there, improved massively from being below average to mm. England and Wales's top performing pre-university school. Wow. Then George was interested in making a contribution to that school and through that we met we had a beer and those famous words would you like to do some projects with us came out so i took him up on it yeah i love that so much so you're able then to bring that into your teaching i suppose or into the school and, and that did that mean that you started i said straight away or did you do some other smaller things first and then i said came laughed after that as a result of those programs i went over to houston at uh, George's invitation, and I went to a, two or three memorable things, really. The first was to be his guest in Mission Control for the grappling of the Spartan module, which was being retrieved and repaired. Then I was George's guest at the 40th anniversary lunch, celebrating the 40th anniversary of NASA, where we had a, the great privilege of John Glenn was on the space shuttle. Wow. And I remember that the 77-year-old John Glenn said to us, it's just like being a teenager, being back up here. I'd recommend <laughs> it to all old people. <laughs> so um, I'll be qualifying pretty soon for that. <laughs> and we were also there for the landing in Mission Control. And that was great because we, we sat with and I met John Young. Oh wow. So it was a it was a great visit all around. And from that we planned the launch of ISET, which actually took place. We had a live video conference with cosmonauts on Mia to launch it. Pioneering astronaut Bonnie Dunbar came over with George. We also had George's equivalent from Star City Moscow, cosmonaut General Yuri Glasgow with us and our opening ceremony was at Cardiff Castle. I mean, this, this is crazy. You meet George Abbey in a pub and then yep. all this comes out. It's just just wonderful. Wow. So obviously I set as then, then rolling and you're running trips for students to go to Kennedy Space Centre, is that right? Or, or various space centres? The, the first programme we started was a competition and we had a team from England, Wales, and Scotland from this competition that won a place to, to come with us to 
the Ames Space Research Center in San Francisco, and then on to Johnson Space Center, and then to finish with Kennedy Space Center. Wow. Where the directors of the those centers looked after everybody and made sure that people could meet and see everything it was possible to see within those time frames. Amazing. But that that was great. And that was a great uh, great introduction to us to doing programs. And we carried on doing student programs uh, right up until the pandemic. It, we also extended and we did we did student programs at Marshall Space Center and at Goddard, as well as the three space centers I've just mentioned. Fantastic. And, and how does that work? So, to, so students, prospective students who are interested, apply via the website and, and, and try and get involved that way. How, how do you get on a trip like this? Well, there was two or three ways. One, if we could raise the funding and we would do a competition, youngsters competed. And that was quite interesting because we'd have some young people win places on a national national competition and we'd contact the schools and they'd say, oh, usually it was a him. We haven't seen him for two months. <laughs> so the first thing we'd say is we'd talk to the, the parents and say, well, yeah, so-and-so's won a place, but unless they go to school every single day between now and the trip, they can't go. Nice. That, that helped turn them around. We got lots of, lots of schools where they say, we didn't know they had it in them. So it's, it's like it opens the door to a different way of getting to talented young people that haven't switched on to the way their education's being delivered to them. Absolutely. So, so as well as working with students, you've ended up having a corporate side of this as well, right? With astronaut leadership trips and, and was it a natural progression from working with students into that world or, or how did that come about? Well, I think the whole thing about how I set has been developed is that it, it's almost like an object lesson in terms of what you can do. Right. If you're in a position where an opportunity arises, then you can actually take advantage of that and develop it. The great thing about the ISET program is it develops ideas for the benefit of other people. Mm. So everything is focused on what good it does for somebody else. It also looks at something which is inspirational and motivational and tries to apply it to people's everyday lives so that they can pick up something and improve their competencies and capabilities in some way or another. It, its big focus is on increasing personal confidence and personal ambition. Mm. So one thing moves to another. So from working with the students, we then came across opportunities and saw that there were teacher workshops at Kennedy Space Center. Wow, yeah. So I, I talked to the individuals concerned there. I also had the tremendous support of Mr. Abbey in the background, which helped significantly. <laughs> yeah. I also had a great friend in the director of Kennedy Space Center who was Jay Honeycutt. So we started utilizing space in the classroom for teachers. And that ran for a lot of years. And effectively, it was funding for teachers, which became a problem to maintaining that program. On the basis of that, 
we then looked and Houston was a, was a very interesting city from a, a whole range of perspectives. So we started a program which was comparative education where teachers came and they could actually make a study in Houston schools of something which they wanted to develop back in their own schools. That was supported by largely the people in the astronaut corps who boosted them massively. They would be, the teachers would be told what an important job they were doing. Our futures depended upon everything that they were doing so that it wasn't just a question of meeting some great people. It was these great people in turn motivated and inspired to feel much better about their jobs and how they perform them and the value of what they did. And if an astronaut starts to tell you your job is valuable, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, you've, you've run a number of events. How, how many different astronauts have been involved? Uh, we've worked with just over 60 astronauts and some cosmonauts. When you think of the numbers, that's quite crazy, isn't it? Only six to 700 people have been to space and you, you're operating on 10% of that as has been involved with, with things that you've run. That's quite a, quite a high percentage, isn't it? I mean, the thing is, people might say, oh, well, you know, well done to you and well done to ISAT. From my point of view, I feel the other way around about it. I think, well, it's a bit disappointing <laughs> that, as they might say in those things, little old us can work with so many people because there's such a groundswell of willingness and support to help make communities better and build a better future amongst people at NASA and in the astronaut corps. But to support that, I would say that I'm reminded of when I was at Kennedy one time and I was invited up to Bill Parsons' office when he was director of Kennedy Space Center. And Bill had a guy there that was what they called a bubba. They picked somebody under 40 who had the potential to go on and do something special. So some of the astronauts, I believe, John Higginbottom and I think Nicole Stott were both bubbers in their time at Kennedy Space Center. Mm -hmm. And Bill asked me, he said, Chris, what are the things you'd like from us? And I started saying one or two things that I thought were important and valuable for our youngsters or teachers. And the bubber interrupted and said, Bill, aren't you being too generous to Chris and these UK people, what do you do when our education department asks for things? And he said, but that's the point. They don't ask. Wow. This is a flagship for what can be done if people ask and they want to do it. And I think that's in general the case with NASA and the astronauts. So you, you think that people are almost too shy to ask because they think that the answer is just going to be no? I don't know. I mean, there's a whole range of reasons why people are not proactive. I mean, sometimes it's just not in people's nature. Yeah. And then how do you ask? Where do you ask? Who do you ask? Yeah, absolutely. When you talk about NASA, you're talking about a pretty big bureaucracy too. So that how do you ask is also quite tricky for people. So it's not really negative. It's just the fact that my view is there is a group of people that are massively inspirational and really wanting to step up and help others 
And I think that it would be great if there were mechanisms for that to be easier for people to reach out to them. For sure, yeah, absolutely. You've worked with many astronauts and you've also worked with George Abbey, who's really a legend in his own right. There's been books written about him. There's a fine book called The Astronaut Maker, which was written by Michael Kassut. Mm-hmm. Can you think of any moments you've had with maybe him or an astronaut that were particularly, you know, memorable? What what kind of stories do you have that, that you can tell us? <laughs> <laughs> when we talk about memorable occurrences with George or the astronaut, you're actually talking about almost all the time you're with these people. Yeah. You know, there's something memorable, and the most memorable things are the effects they have on other people. Mm. And I can't emphasize this more than saying that if if there's anything I would like to say to a group of people when we're with them, I'd ask the astronauts to say it. Mm. Uh, Because it's something magical. An astronaut told me. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that ultimate name drop. Yeah, I got told by an astronaut that this happened. <laughs> no, yeah. one, no one can ever question that. Or as, as I say to the young people on the programs, you should ask a question because you can always say afterwards, wherever you are, an astronaut told me. And then you can say whatever you like because nobody's going to know whether it's true or not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's true. That's true. I never thought about that, but it's that's true. I've dropped it a few times and people are like, Whoa, really? So yeah, that's funny. Um, I, I don't usually tell people that I I work with NASA or astronauts or anything because yeah. I wouldn't want anybody to think that I was anything special just because I work with people that have had these special, and here's the joke, out of this world opportunities. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and plus you've pardoned the pun down to earth. Very humble. <laughs> yeah, I'm down to earth and I want to keep it that way. <laughs> I mean, I don't. Want, yeah, I don't want to experience any of that space sickness or anything like that. <laughs> I can't say how valuable I think the space program is for humanity in a whole range of ways, and I'm quite happy that somebody else does it. <laughs> Understand? All right. So, something that I find incredible is that you've had a number of student experiments taken to the International Space Station. So, how did that start? Tell us a little more about that. Well, I was sitting here in. South Wales in ISEP Mission Control, I got a call from Jay Honeycutt in Florida. And Jay said, Chris, we think we've got uh, got some opportunities to put experiments on the space station reasonably affordably. Wow. I said, well, well that that's good. He said, so if you can think of something, and I think he thought that I was going to go to universities and try and persuade them to pay for experiments to go into the space station. So having been around the the world of space education for a while, there's lots of programs where youngsters turn up. We used to do a space camp. Um, Young people did a whole range of activities to do with learning about space and maths and science and about themselves. And there's lots of programs where people make a pretend lunar base or make some, whereas this struck me as... Young people could be offered the opportunity to do something which was beyond their imagination of what they could do, which was to actually have their ideas carried out by astronauts on the space station as they orbited the Earth. So I thought, and I started off working with Ken Ham, Space Shuttle Commander, to develop 
our first mission discovery. So that program had astronauts Ken Ham, Mike McCulley, and Jay Honeycutt came over for it as well in London. And I developed a program which actually took people through what you needed to be a mini space researcher. The youngsters had never met each other, so that we did a day of NASA team building and nice. leadership. We followed that with the day of the environment in space and what the design brief was. We looked at improving budgeting, planning, presentation skills. And on the last day, all of the teams gave presentations on their ideas for a design for an experiment to be carried out on the space station. Amazingly, in all the mission discoveries we've done, whichever continent they've been on, every team has come up with something new and viable. Wow. We then select the best of those experiments and then put it together at either King's College London, which is a world top 20 university, or Oxford University and... Now that they're flown with SpaceX up to the station. Amazing. So that really came about from a phone call of, Chris, how about doing something with this? So we've put something, something just over 60 experiments on the space station. Wow. All of which have come from wow. young people. One thing which I think is, a, is a, a good story to come out of it, which is a testament to young people and also a warning to people that look down on any young people. We were invited to do a mission discovery program here in Wales. There was a program, the regeneration of the Rhonda Valley, a former heavy industrial area, which has undergone more difficult times. And part of that was a reorganization of the schools to go from elementary and secondary schools or elementary and high schools for you in uh, that foreign part, Emily. <laughs> and to get the schools to work together, we did a mission discovery for the top year in the primary or the elementary school and the lowest year in the high school. So the, the young people on the program were aged 10 to 12. And there was a concern about whether they could come up with any decent ideas. Mm. The experiment we selected was on immiscible liquids, i.e. liquids that don't mix. And it was the first experiment we put in the space station where somebody from NASA came back to us and said, you must publish these results. Wow. <laughs> so from my point of view, it says no matter how little or childlike somebody looks, you just don't know quite how smart they might be. Amazing. That's incredible. And that's really encouraging to hear as well for people of all ages who may want to do something like that. So what is next for ISET Space? Is it just a continuation of your current work or have you got bigger plans? Well, I don't know if bigger. I mean, you know, there's always different things to do. And of course, if you just stick with what you do, I mean, while while uh, Ford was developing his Model T, there were people looking to develop better stagecoaches. So things always change. I don't think that our programs for young people in, uh, since the pandemic, I don't think that we'll be, we'll be doing those necessarily again, but you never know. 
mission discovery will, uh, will continue. We've developed a, a, a form of mission discovery called Mission to Orbit, where schools or school districts or universities can actually have a sort of halfway house. We can do live video conferences in from astronauts and space scientists, as well as a package of materials to support young people in situ coming up with their ideas for experiments. The ideas can be submitted to our panel of judges and maybe we can, you know, depending, we can have finals with the schools online and the astronaut-led panel of judges can judge. So it would be like mission discovery except where you live. Yeah. We also have, and Dave alluded to it earlier, uh, we do have programs for corporates. We've developed, um, particularly Michael Fall and myself, supported by former NASA leader Sarah Murray, developed a NASA-style simulation for businesses and organizational leaders, effectively to apply the way NASA prepares its people for dealing with incidents in space and applying all of those things like working with your team, working with other teams, effective communication, decision-making under pressure and duress, and something we didn't imagine when we started, NASA is a transparent organization and actually having a top executives work in a simulation where transparency is essential and where they're answerable directly to their stakeholders is a very interesting thing to put <laughs> yeah, I imagine. business yeah. leaders through. <laughs> yeah, I feel yes. like, <laughs> yeah, but some politicians yes. probably need to go through that as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I was thinking that when you said that, I was like, man, they need to put politicians through that. I don't know if it'll ever work, but that's a skill that people struggle with. That's all I have to say. Well, if you're putting politicians into it, then, you know, I think we need to recruit Tom Cruise for it. Mission impossible. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. All right. So how can people get involved? Are y'all looking for sponsorship or if someone is listening, thinking that these kinds of things would be great for my child or my business, you know, what, what can they do next? Well, let's take it from the first question, sponsorship. I'm really happy to give the inspiration and motivation that working with a space, space exploration, and the people at the heart of the space program gives. And I'm happy to work with people from any background, from anywhere in the world. I don't, wouldn't want to deprive anybody because they have been born into a better background. But one of my basic loves is to affect people that come from more disadvantaged areas where they know there's opportunities, but they think they're for somebody else. So that we can have people who stand out alongside movie stars and sports stars, except they got there through education, mm. to tell them that the effort is worthwhile yeah, and that it really pays off. And in that, my search for sponsors has been very disappointing over the years. So we have no shortage of people from companies who would like, who like to come along and have their photographs taken with the astronauts. But the number of organizations that will 
actually sponsor young people to participate has been few. So if there's anybody there who wants to help some young people and do something that honestly makes an amazing difference to them, I'd be really grateful for them getting hold of us through the website because we'd be delighted. That's one of our big missions. Mm-hmm. My view, and you know, obviously I'm pretty biased, is that our programs are some of the most effective in terms of changing or enhancing young people's attitude towards learning and becoming. The range of places, whether it's in the space industry, we have news readers in British media that have been on our programs. Wow. We have people that work for the newspapers. We have lots of people in finance handling several portfolios of billions of pounds or dollars or yen. So it just is a switch on for things. The other thing about it for young people is we've had almost every level and type of course at university where young people haven't quite made their grades, but they've been accepted because at interview, the people have been so impressed by what they've talked about and what they've done when they've met the astronauts and when they've worked at getting their ideas onto the space station. The other thing about the programs, which is quite brilliant, is if you take, say, Mission Discovery at King's College London, we get something like youngsters from 28 and up to 40 different countries participate in that program. So it's a real cultural mix. And my belief is that young people need to get used to the idea of working on an increasingly global stage whereby... Modern technology means that people all over the world can work together. And then you mentioned politicians who don't seem to be able to work together in this increasingly world of global communication. Absolutely. Absolutely. So just to to finish off, if you had one thing that you'd like people to take away from this interview about what ISET is and what you're trying to do, what would that be? The message from ISET is you can do it. We work with NASA and the astronauts because they're full of you can do it. When I first went to Houston, I met a group of people that knew that they could do it. Whatever it is, if they worked hard, if they got proper tuition in things and they were determined, they could do it if it was within the laws of physics. Nice. Yeah. And that is the message that all the people out there, whatever it is they would want to do, they could do it. And one of the starting points is to try and jump on one of our programs and meet people that know that at their very heart. And those are the people we work with. That really is a, a very good place to end. So thank you so much, Chris, for joining us today. Uh, this Was that been, okay? This has been amazing. Thank you very, Absolutely. very much. Fantastic. Uh, and we wish you all the best. Uh, hopefully we'll, we'll meet you in person very soon. It's no secret that space is hard, but finding space in things isn't. You can find the podcast on all major platforms. All right. So I, I love that this is happening. The standout moment there for me was the fact that he said that one of the, the astronauts at NASA turned around to the the head of Kennedy Space Center and said, hang on, why are we doing this for an overseas company? Why aren't we doing this 
for our own students. And he said, because they don't ask. These opportunities are there for people and for organizations if they're willing to reach out to NASA and they, they have opportunities for educational stuff. We've seen some, some of our listeners have, have been on teacher, teacher days at Kennedy Space Center and things like that. So these things do exist and the impact they have can be huge, as we know. So it's quite something that, that this is happening and, and it happening in the UK, which I think is wonderful. So there are a few events coming up which people might, if they've got kids or students, they might be interested to know about. Uh, there is a mission discovery. He talked a lot about mission discovery, which is the where they design experiments, which which might be taken up to the International Space Station. So there's one in Oxford happening. It's for 14 to 18-year-olds. And that's happening in Oxford from the 12th to 16th of February, so next month. There's also one happening at King's College in London in July of this year. And there's one happening in Kuala Lumpur as well uh, in June. So they really do get around. And there's different astronauts at each one and different top scientists as well from these these universities. So uh, this is a really cool way of connecting with people. Now, these things aren't cheap for their students, but if we can... Get involved, and I'm, as as he said, there are sponsorship options and things like that. So, I love that this is happening, and I, I hope that this t- this ISET team really does get some support, and that that those who get to go along really really benefit from these experiences. Absolutely, I I think this kind of program for children and for adults is is very important. You know, I think uh, just because you become an adult perhaps become an executive or somebody, you know, somebody up top at a, a company, you know, it. I you can still learn, <laughs> you know, there's still an opportunity as an adult. There's still opportunities to learn things. I, I think a program like this to learn from astronauts and to learn from how the space program does it, as Chris said in this interview, you know, you have to be transparent. There's no room for lying or obfuscating and stuff like that because people's lives are on the line very expensive hardware and experiments are on the line. You know, you can't just keep stuff away from people. And I think this kind of program can be very beneficial to obviously adults who uh, adults still have room to learn about things. So I think this is amazing. I love hearing about it. And as Dave said, if, if you are listening and you're in the capacity to be a sponsor or to get involved absolutely feel free to do so. This is a great cause. It feels like, obviously, we've in the past highlighted uh, Taking Up Space, the the organization which is spending Native American uh, students to space camp in Huntsville. And it's that kind of vibe, isn't it? That, That let's do something for young people, especially from people from different backgrounds who may not have yep. known, as, as he said, that, you know, students who, when they were, were running these uh, trips um, to various space centers, they'd apply and then they'd reach out and say, do you want? And the, the kid hadn't been turned up to school and then they were able to turn their life around as a result of this opportunity. Yep. And, and, and and things like this have that power, don't they? They have the power to, to really switch someone on and inspire them to, to try and achieve something. Yeah, um, I talk. A, I talk a lot about how, even though I'm a musician, I am inspired by spaceflight to achieve things which I have no right to do. Um, for example, the album I made at Abbey Road, which hopefully will come out later this year, 
someone like me shouldn't be recording at Abbey Road. I've got no right to be there. I, I'm, you expect the people that are there, are I people wouldn't say that. See on, well, no, no, but, no well, hear me out. That the people that you expect to be there are the big stars, the big superstars record at Abbey Road. I'm not a superstar. I'm a, someone who's made a living playing music, but very few people listen to, to, to what I do, and that's fine. I'm happy with my, my place in society in that regard. But for me to, to dream big and go... I want to do that. As he said, it's that can-do attitude that NASA instills in people, that I want to go and achieve that. That's a place where I want to go and make music. Yeah. And that the inspiration to do that kind of thing has come from looking at the Kennedy speech, why go to the moon? Because yeah. it's there. And that, go that big kind or go of, home. Yeah. Go big or go home. And, and that's what the space program is, is all about. It's all about that idea of, of trying to reach beyond what you think you can do uh, and what you think you can achieve. And so I personally know the impact on my life that it's had, the experiences I've had, the experiences I've done in my music career, which someone on my level shouldn't have done, is because I'm inspired by spaceflight. So I can see that direct correlation of inspiration, which hopefully these these young people and people in corporate world who may sign up for something like this can take into their into their world as well. And I think that's a, yeah. a wonderful thing. So Chris is a wonderful Absolutely. guy. He's got some great stories and it was great to have him on. Absolutely, yeah. And and like you said, Dave, being around spaceflight does have that thing where you're like, where you start to think a lot bigger beyond just yourself yeah. in a way. A lot of people who do spaceflight go into a lot of charitable things and reach out and try to help other people. And that's very it's very, very important, I think. I love that aspect of spaceflight and programs such as ISET are very important to encouraging that, encouraging people that, yeah, there's something way bigger out there. And just because you might live in a, in a rural area or an area where there's not much going on, it doesn't mean you can't make a difference, make a huge impact on the world. Mm. As I said, go big or go home. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, as always, the full uh, interview will be up on our Patreon page. For those of people who would like to watch that, um, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash space and things. And if you want to learn more about ISET or Chris, look in our show notes, which you can find by clicking the link in the description of this podcast, or head over to our website, which is spaceandthingspodcast.com. Don't forget to leave a rating or review on your podcast provider, and please consider sharing Space and Things with your friends. So, Emily, what has caught your eye in spaceflight this week? Okay, obviously, uh, it was the <laughs> ULA uh, Vulcan uh, Centaur Cert 1 launch. It went off January 8th at 2.18 a.m. It was incredible. The launch, I did see it from Sandpoint Park. I was there with Celestis and all the families of the uh, Enterprise and Tranquility flights. The launch was freaking incredible. It looked flawless um, from us. Uh, I think uh, even Tori Bruno from ULA commented in a in an interview he thought his headset was broken because um it went very smoothly. I, I watched the countdown on my phone. It was just like smooth as glass. Like there were no issues, and that is honestly very unheard of for a first launch of a new generation space rocket. I mean that is just nothing you hear about. Usually it's hold you got holds. They have to scrub it. I honestly. I hate saying this. I, I didn't want to jinx anything, but I honestly did not think it would go off. I thought there's going to be a hold. Something's going to happen. And, you know, I understand out of an over out of an abundance of caution, they'd probably have to scrub it. Right. Nope. Went smooth as glass. 
very loud vehicle, but it's like the Tron light cycle of launch vehicles. Like it sounded and looked just smooth as hell. Like it was like, wow. We couldn't see booster set from where we were at, but we noticed that there was the sort of the bluish uh, methane color from those Blue Origin uh, BE4 engines that are on the rocket. And those are brand new engines. To my knowledge, they function perfectly. Some of the up-close launch photos, you could see the the blue shock diamonds coming out of the engines, which was just gorgeous. It was incredible. From a distance, it, it, there was like this bluish-white light you could see, and it was just like, wow, that's freaking amazing. Um, so gorgeous launch vehicle. Uh, there are, I think, over 75 other launches for that vehicle on the manifest at the moment. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, the first launch went to my eyeballs. It went stunningly. I'm sure there's going to be data and extra reports coming out from ULA on how it functioned, you know, but um, to my eyeballs, it was just perfectly smooth and stunning. It went great. Now, about the astrobotic peregrine lander that was on the uh, mission and, and the Centaur 5 which was um, the high-energy second stage, I believe, of the mission. The Centaur 5 performed, to my knowledge, perfectly. Uh, It is currently en route to orbiting the sun with the uh, several hundred Enterprise flight participants on uh, for Celestis. Now, the Peregrine Lander, uh, as many of you know now, uh, did experience some issues, but according to Astro... And this show was taped on the 9th of January, just to give it a timestamp. The latest update as of right now from Astrobotic is they're going to try to get the vehicle as close to the moon as possible. Uh, It did have propulsion system issues. Honestly, I do not know how that affects the uh, Tranquility Flight mission. My guess is they're going to try to get it as close to the moon as possible, but also this situation is still unfolding. I would stay tuned to Astrobotic. Uh, updates to see where that is headed. Yeah, it's it's sad news though, isn't it? Because essentially it doesn't look like it's going to be the first private lander after all. And space is hard. Yeah, exactly. Great launch, but then unfortunately something's happened. And, and we've seen that with billion dollar spacecraft time and time again where they've got into space and then something's not quite worked as planned. And sometimes you've been able to fix it. Sometimes you can't. It's not looking like this is completely salvageable from what I've read uh, and what I'm seeing on online from the from the various companies involved. Hopefully they can get enough data points so that next time uh, they launch, because there's, there's a few launches planned for Astrobotica as well. A few few of these landers plan to go up. So hopefully they'll, they'll get enough data that this won't happen again. Yeah. This is a certification flight for ULA. Um, and to use a real payload when doing that is quite... A daunting idea, we're going to put something on top, which is worth millions of dollars, potentially even more than that. And we trust our systems as ULA that we're going to get it there. And they did. Um, And I guess perhaps, and this is me speculating, so apologies if I'm speaking out of turn here, that that, that maybe Astrobotic was a little bit more experimental with their payload, perhaps, or or knew it was a bit more testing because they didn't know the launch was definitely going to Get it there. Does that make sense? Uh, But that is definitely speculation on my part. Please, no one quote me as saying this is what's happening. But but you can see, I could see that if I put a payload that is going on top of a rocket that's never launched before, perhaps I'm not 
thinking about it in terms of this is going to be 100% successful from the launch side of things. So don't spend all my money on it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I And I am also, I want to put a big caveat, a big asterisk in front of what I'm about to say as this is my complete speculation. I could be 100% wrong and that's fine. This is not a blame on ULA at any on any stretch because this has happened to a ton of payloads on launch vehicles. That launch vehicle had a lot of juice on it. I think it has 2 million pounds of thrust or something in that area. We were in Titusville, okay? That's a little ways out from the launch pad. I mean, it was still loud as hell. And it was like the sun was coming up. It was incredible. And I just wonder, you know, did maybe the the thrust of the launch vehicle or the Centaur 5, maybe? Because the Centaur 5 is a, also a pretty beefed up upper stage. You yeah. know, it's got a lot of, lot of juice in it. I don't know if it perhaps damaged the lander. I mean... Again, I'm speculating. It may have not. I don't know. Well, I think that's a really valid point, though, isn't it? And these are the kind of conversations which I'm sure they're all having behind the scenes, looking at all the data point. When you've got a launch vehicle which is going up for the first time, yes, you can model what the impact yeah. would be on, on a payload, but until you've done it, you don't know. So Correct. you're right. It might have been. I'm sure they're looking into that. Uh, and if it is, they'll know for future launches what to do. Yeah. If not, it's also Astrobotics' first lander going up maybe they yeah. made a mistake there's lots of things yeah, that we they don't can know. look at now isn't there and i'm sure people who are both in the know and more qualified than you and i are doing just that. exactly yeah i'm not an engineer and i do not know if that's the actual cause of it i do know the only thing i do know is that it's happened before you know what we've seen yeah, with absolutely the final skylab launch or the the space station launch the saturn 5 had a damaged skylab the first shuttle launch in 1981, Columbia got damaged because the the boosters just had so much juice to them and it, it just, it literally bent the body flap of the vehicle. They had computer modeling, but until you get on a launch vehicle, you're not going to know 100% what's going to happen. Exactly. So yeah. that's just my speculation, but who knows? That could have happened. Then again, a million other things could have happened as well. So we don't, we don't know for sure, but absolutely, it'll be investigated, I'm sure. So one thing I will add to this conversation about this launch is I was sitting in a, a cafe after a gig I had on Sunday evening um, at 2 a.m. I had just finished a gig and went to go a cup of tea before I drove home. And they had BBC News on and they covered the launch. And I was very impressed that the BBC were giving it a little bit of airtime. But interestingly... What they wanted to talk about most was the Memorial Space Flights. And they called wow. them controversial. And uh, we had a comment on our YouTube channel, which also indicated that perhaps we didn't cover last week the fact that maybe it is a little bit controversial to do a Memorial Space Flight. I don't know where I sit on that. I haven't given any thought. I think I gave my opinions last week. I think it's pretty cool. I also am someone who talks about space junk and it being a problem. Uh, and the idea of sending stuff, something up in anything up into space should be something we think about. But at the same time, I like the idea of memorial space flights. And I don't know how I write that juxtaposition in my head. I have to do that at some point. But I thought yeah. it was interesting that the BBC covered that that they wanted to talk about it. And, um, and maybe it is a, a deeper conversation than, than we gave it last week when we talked to Charles. Uh, we would, we just were glowing about it because I think you and I both invested into the idea of, of that, 
that being a thing. But to give people a full perspective, I think we have to point out that other people are saying this is controversial, even though neither you or I, when we thought talked about it last week, gave that any thought. Yeah. And and just a, a full disclosure, I do work for Celestis. Uh, and uh, honestly, I, I, I really, I'm not the one to really give a, a statement on that because uh, I'm yeah, kind of lower in the food chain and I don't, yeah, I don't want to step on my boss's uh, toes by any stretch or anything like that. So I'm just kind of trying to stay neutral as possible, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad you had a good time either way. Yes. So, Dave, what's caught your eye this week? Yeah, just a quick one. Um, I love photos from the solar system. And the Juno spacecraft, which has been orbiting Jupiter, has sent back some wonderful photos of Io, which is one of the moons of Jupiter. It looks like something out of Star Wars. It's really cool. Wow. Io is like the, the most volcanic body in our solar system. And uh, I think previously the closest anyone got was in 2001, Galileo. I think yep. the Galileo spacecraft passed uh, above its south pole. Um, so for those of who don't know, Juno launched in 2011 and arrived in Jupiter in 2016 and has been sending incredible stuff back ever since. And uh, there's some really cool social media accounts run by NASA to show off those photos and really well worth following if you're interested. And these photos are amazing. So as always, what we've discussed will go in the show notes, which you can find, as I said earlier, by hitting the link in the description of this podcast or heading to our website, spaceandthingspodcast.com. To submit questions for any of our upcoming guests, join us on Patreon, www.patreon.com backslash spaceandthings. That's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for tuning in, as always. If you are new here, please make sure you've subscribed on your favorite podcast platform and check out our back catalog of episodes. We've covered so many incredible topics and interviewed some amazing guests over the last few years. Yes, it's been quite the ride. Uh, Thanks to those who continue to support us on Patreon or by purchasing merchandise. Now, keep your eyes peeled on social media for some new items coming soon. Yes, I'm excited because you know me, I love t-shirts. I I have probably too many shirts, so but I could always use a new one. Uh, Or just head over to the store on our website, spaceandthingspodcast.com. But don't forget, in space, no one can hear you mean. This has been the Space and Things Podcast. Thanks for listening. New episodes every Thursday.